This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. It's Cammy here. Today's episode is a chat with Nori Reed, hilarious stand-up comic who you could see on Alan Cummings' new stand-up special that is coming out on Showtime. So excited to talk to Nori. And hey, wow, look at this list of names. Sierra sent me this list of names for the people that support the show on on uh, Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash heyqueeros and support the show. And like, honestly, it's... uh. Is this, this feels even longer. Every time I mention that you can support the show, more people do. So like, let's, let's hear it right now for Robin Moxley and Beck and Francine Belbina and Leslie Gaditis, who just, who I just saw in the flesh at a show, really appreciated that you came out. Chantel McClelland, Trisha Thalmeyer, Paula Vavadowski, Rachel McIntyre, Ethan Peterson, Tanya Josek, Stacey, Pickles G, Brittany Carlson, Kevin Fry, LaVon Sawake, Chloe Vicker, Jackson Carr, Carrie Boland, Becky Callen, Audrey Rauer, Katie Gagliardo, Bobby Dalmer, Morgan Friday, Jessica Lustig, Danny Elkhorn, Liesel Jensen, Sam Foster, Jeffrey Grind, my mother, Eliza Dornbush, Fiona, Diana Andriola, Mara Barra, Amy A., Catherine Michaels, Jen Graf Perkins, Jen Saltzman, and B. Aaron Talbot, thank you so much. You can go to patreon.com slash hatequeers and support the show. It helps us keep this show running. Enjoy the episode. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling. I know, I know, I know it's careless. All right, we'll start with that click of the look. <laughs> Troy being opened. Hi. Um, Hi. I, always have, I always have guests introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? Oh, wow. Um, I'm Nori Reed. I'm a comedian, writer, and actress living in LA. And I'm happy to be here. Yeah, you are all of those things. In <laughs> fact, we were just working together because you were opening for a show that I did, well, when we were recording this last month at yes. Largo here. In LA, it was nice to see you and catch up and hear a little bit about what you've been up to. You've been you've been writing. You're writing yes. right now. Tell me about that. Yeah, uh, I was writing for uh, Ravens Home, which is on Disney for about ten months, and we we wrapped recently, and now we're just kind of waiting to hear for for if there's another season. Yeah, ten months is a long writing job. Yeah, it's not normal for sure. These days, <laughs> these days, it's not right. Yeah, why was it ten months on the show? It's well, it's it's definitely like a classic sitcom, and I mm. feel like kids' television is kind of this like remaining bastion of these of like these really long seasons. Um, right. So, like twenty five episodes, I guess for like kids' TV is like somewhat normal. Um, but yeah, it was twenty five. That is so episodes. many episodes. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. And there was also some, like, news around some of these apps that you were writing. Tell me about that. Um, well, something really cool about this experience is um, I wrote uh, Disney Channel's first live-action trans character. Um, before previously, I believe there was a non-binary character who that was animated, and I... Their name was very non-binary. I think it was like Rain, like Rain Socks or something. No, it, it, I'm sorry. I, I'm not actually. I'm not making fun of it. I'm so sorry. Um, but this is the first like live action, uh, like human person, trans person. Yeah. And those episodes aired like, pre- or pretty recently. That character was introduced yeah. very recently. Yeah, like I believe the, the last late, couple weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I believe the latest episode is when we are introduced to uh, Nikki. She's Raven's uh, assistant uh, in her design studio. So when the showrunners were like, yeah, we need this character who's like Raven's assistant. I was like, okay, queer. Like already I was thinking like fashion, San Francisco, 
here's a perfect, perfect way to to promote the queer agenda and get. Wait, did you pitch this as a yeah. trans character? You are the reason this character is trans. Like you didn't just write. Yeah. You are the reason you pitched this. Yeah, I created. That's so character. awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, I love that. Yeah. Because actually, that that is so nice too. Because I I think that you know so many folks. I just I'm thinking about all the people that are like. Uh, ah, every type of character is now in every show and do we need any of this? And I think some of that comes from like a misunderstanding that like our writer's room is a group of people that are like generating ideas that apply to people's lives outside of that room. Um, And that can be true, but it also has been my experience that, you know, sometimes folks are just mentioning what's happening in their real lives and the people that they actually know and the people that they actually are. So that, I love that that came from you. Yeah. Why would, why would the character not be trans? Like that makes, yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I yeah. used to work in fashion. I was, a, I was an assistant in a design studio and I, Wait, just, I didn't know that. Yeah. In New York, I used to work in fashion. That was my first career out, out of college. Um, I worked for like Michael Kors and, stuff like that yeah i've had a lot of i've had a lot of lives yeah it's like yeah yeah how was that i have i have no (laughs) idea what that experience is like he was lovely i mean he he was he was the same person you worked for michael kors the man not michael kors the like t-shirt but you know the actual man yeah he he was super gregarious and really funny and really magnetic and it was a short job but yeah i worked i worked for him and Eventually, I was like, I can't work in the fashion industry anymore because it was so crazy. Um, and, and you so were like, I, yeah. entertainment. This is where yeah. everything makes mm-hmm. sense and is sane. I was like, this isn't toxic enough. I need yeah. more toxic. More. <laughs> but if you need more toxicity, I got some people you can meet. Absolutely. You know? Yes, yeah, please. Like, absolutely. Yeah, I, no problem. <laughs> introduce how long you been in LA um I moved to the end of 2019 yeah uh, so it's girl just hang out for a few more minutes absolutely. you don't worry <laughs> don't even worry you don't I don't even have to introduce you but you will yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> LA is interesting I went to my first movie premiere and that was so fascinating because I met I feel like I've been kind of insulated against the classic LA toxicity like in terms of like people who like are trying to like social climb and kind of that kind of stuff. I, I I'm a little insulated away from them. I'm, I'm not really in that world. And that was my first time meeting those types of people. And like when they found out I was a writer for a TV show, the, because they're, they're actors and they were like, they're like, Oh my God, like we have to work together. Like one person was like, was like, let's make a movie. And I was like, I've literally just met you. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, it was, but are you it, yeah. gonna make a movie with them? You're probably making mm. a movie, right? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. No, I mean, I just I never met this. I was like, I literally just met so you, funny. and I'm not gonna make a movie with you. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> but it, it was, it was just that kind of energy that that like intense, yeah. like piranha. Like, let me just like, I, I that was my first time feeling that. I was like, oh god, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! I don't know anybody else who's worked on a show with Raven, but like she's a big deal to me. I mean, yeah, she's an not icon. just in like children's, 
That's the right word. She's an icon. Oh, yeah. Because of her, you know, I don't know her. I've never even met her. But it does seem like she's been able to navigate, like, childhood, working as a child, which I think is a, which I think can be very challenging, into having an adult identity that you have some, where you have some autonomy. It seems like she's been really good at navigating that. And I really respect the way that she's uh, handled giving information about her queerness and her personal life. I think that's, I think she's just like done a pretty amazing and, a, and in like exemplary job of how to possibly navigate that. Cause she started so young. It's like, there just isn't a ton of inherent agency for a kid. Um, even if you, even if the kid thinks that there is, it's like one doesn't know oneself inherently. Did, are you watching, are you watching the rehearsal at all? I'm not watching the rehearsal. Tell me more. Okay. I, that, I mean, I that should. Definitely. But... That's a huge conversation that's come out of the rehearsal because one of the child actors that was involved in it kind of didn't know what was real and what wasn't real. And like the finale kind of explores that. And oh, the, wow. The show kind of had a really negative impact on this kid named Remy. And oh, yeah, like, wow. like a lot of people on Twitter right now are saying like there should be like no. Ch- child actors like none like 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 there should just they should have cgi right. and like cgi kids or like have adults play kids or but they, some people are really advocating for like no child acting which i think is really radical i mean i don't even know what that would even look like but yeah i don't it's people are talking a, i work with a kid right now on a show that i'm on mm. and um and i've worked with kids before but like i'm you know and i just feel like it's Hard to, but then, you know, I was a child and I had ideas about what I wanted my life to be like. And I think some of those were actually true, you know, like that I wanted, there were things I wanted that were, that were where I did know myself. So I don't know. It does feel really complicated to me because then the other side of like completely removing kids is like, there's some like inherent disrespect in that too. Like there could be like any way that you play it could be disrespectful. Or it could be um, dehumanizing, depending, like, on so many different factors. Yeah. But anyway, I'm saying all this to say, I don't know, like, how much of that translates into a room writing for somebody who is who has navigated their queerness, like, so beautifully. But I would imagine that that's just in there because she does such a good job outside in the public sphere that I would imagine that. Well, what is that like working on a show where the yeah, where I the mean, lead is like so openly queer and has dealt with that definitely. So, so publicly? Yeah, well, the character of Raven in the show is straight. Um, so the character is straight. I think that was a choice that was I, I don't know how that choice was made, but that that's the case. And then in Raven's real life, she really has taken an advocate role um in terms of being a queer icon and in the industry and um whenever i remember with disney with the don't you don't say gay stuff that that happened in florida um i know she took a really big leadership role in closing down the set for the day and which, which you know is awesome. it's a big deal you in production that's that's that's, that's a huge deal a big that's deal. a lot of money it's a yeah. lot of money and she took a really big leadership role and that was so appreciated for me as a trans person on set it was like wow that that made me feel really good so um, for somebody yeah. who might not be could you could you describe what that actually means for somebody who just might not know what we're talking about at all like to close yeah the yeah to stop production for the day yeah well a lot of people are involved in production it's it's not only the acting team it's the the whole crew the writers everyone we're already getting paid for that time and so it's really saying you know it's taking a stance and saying uh, this means something to us and uh there's you know consequences for as a company if you don't really support um your queer workers um and that was really appreciated to show that you know the yeah it was it was an action that didn't feel performative it felt really real and and good that's awesome i love to hear that yeah also, I just was seeing you on my Instagram like maybe yesterday because Alan Cummings. Yes. Alan Cummings was like announcing the trailer for the yeah. Showtime special that you're a part of. 
queer um, icons, right? I'm like, yeah, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. You got proximity, baby. Swimming between, yeah, between Alan, Raven, and you. It's there's a lot Obviously of queer the icons around. Yeah. <laughs> um, if I may say so, yeah. Uh, that was awesome. That, that was like such a incredible experience. I was writing, I was in the writer's room, and then we got the call from the director that, you know, she, she wanted me to be a part of this. And um, then Alan, you know, wanted me to, me to be a part of this. And um, I flew to New York for a day to, to film it, to shoot it, and then flew the same day back to LA to get back to the writing job, which felt so like cool i was like all right like flying in for the just that is set yeah very cool so cool and um that was so incredible uh i did a 10 minute set and uh one of the shticks of the of the specials alan kind of has his own table because it's very like burlesque and it's very like cabaret no sorry i meant to say cabaret it's not burlesque at all it's, it's a little burlesque. No, it's no, it's a, I, no. I stripped. I stripped on stage for 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it really was just in terms of like that kind of feel of of like of a cabaret vibe. He had his own little table and he was watching everyone perform. And just to get to perform for this like packed room. And then also Alan's just sitting there and he's like laughing and he's engaging. And it's um, it was amazing. It was really cool. Yeah, I and that room I haven't been there or played there yet, but it seems like it's pretty intimate. Like, and it's he like owns it, right? It's like an actual club that he owns. That's small. It exists, right? This does yeah. exist. A little BTS for you is that it, it's a little too intimate. It was too small, so they oh, actually really? they recreated. They built it. Got they it. Built they built it, it in the comedy underground, which is in the oh, West that's Village. So funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the basement. Oh my god, I've been there. Yes. It's like double I the had, size. Yeah. Okay. That is double the size? Yeah. That is already a pretty... Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Oh my god. I had one of the worst auditions of my life there for... What? Uh, yeah. It was like, like 15 years ago, you know, something like that. I was like trying to get into Just for Laughs, big comedy festival, yeah. and... I had already made it through like multiple rounds of callbacks, but at the time, you had to like fly yourself... Jesus. ...to various cities, like... Only in New York and L.A. would they do the final scouting. Oh, my God. So you had to go through multiple rounds in Chicago to get the call to go to New York. And it was the first time I ever got the call to go to New York. And I was, like, staying on a friend's couch. And she lived, like, in the upper 80s or something. She lived really far north. And I got up on stage. And it just just didn't work. Like, not a single joke worked. It just didn't work. It just was like, and I think it's, you know, it's only five minutes or something like that that I was auditioning. And it just, nothing landed. And I walked off stage, out the door, and then back to the place I was staying, which was like a... An eight to ten mile walk. Oh <laughs> you my just god! Walked straight off yes. stage there because that's how the show went. <laughs> oh my god! Have you ever have you ever eaten shit so bad that you need to walk eight to ten miles without stopping? <laughs> that I mean, <laughs> I I also that's so funny because I I bombed my JFL callback um, just recently on myself. Oh. There we um, go. But I did drive. I drove away, which, Got you it. know, so it, I did not walk 10 miles. That, that is insane. It was, it was, I mean, to drive away, like that feels very powerful. Um, but in my, you know, in my defense, walking away, <laughs> it's so exhausting and, and overwrought that it did feel appropriate. You know what I mean? Like to drive yeah. away. You might not have gotten all of your emotions out in that drive. I'm I'm imagining a like a Louis cut where it's like you know it's just fil- filming you the entire walk, just like <laughs> there's some music in the background, something jazzy, you know, and you're just kind of like hands in the pocket. Oh my god! You know? Yeah, just <laughs> that is such a level of shit eating. Anyway, um, <laughs> what do you do when you bomb? Ooh, I bombed recently, and I. I literally cried. I literally cried in my car because something bad. You know how like everything's bad right now, or like 
there's like nothing good and everything's bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, like something very bad happened that day. I can't even remember what happened, but it was like a really bad day nationally. And I remember like not wanting to do the show, but like putting myself together and being like, no, I'm going to go. I, I'm not going to cancel. That's not, you know, a professional or whatever. And so I went and nothing I did like worked for these people. And I was just getting more and more angry and it was like a very straight crowd. And so there was that dynamic too. And they were Asian. So it was like my own people, (sighs) like just like all these straight Asian people just staring at me. And I was so mad because I was like, Oh, the thing that happened that day was trans related. It was like a bad trans thing. It was some Uh, sort of law or some sort of something very bad happened that day. And I just remember thinking like, you fucking straight cis people. I'm up here. You have no idea the gifts that you're getting right now from my comedy. And like, as I'm a monster, clearly, I'm like, so... I'm clearly, I just was nodding my head. You're like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. zero. I zero. Yeah. I was like uh huh. Uh-huh, zero. Yeah. No. No question. <laughs> yeah. There. So keep going. Yeah. I mean, because <laughs> we're clearly in the same zone. I was like, I know like, this yes, is course, funny. Yeah. It's like I know this is funny. I know that this is good. I'm giving you my best stuff, and you're looking at me like I'm the stupidest person in the world. So yeah, I left and I went in my car and I just cried because I was just like, fuck. Like how dare? Like I I put I like all this energy it took just to even be there that day and then to get that response it really just pissed me off how do you because i mean i i mean i've seen you but i don't know what your like thoughts are behind Mm. this um about navigating this is so much less true now. Well, that's a true. Sometimes I play like the improv, mm-hmm. which is just a room of people that yeah. are strangers to me. But if I'm like, if it's my own show, I don't have to walk out and have people be like taking me in. Um, but if, it, if I'm at the improv or whatever, and I, I'm very aware of how I look and how I need to acknowledge that I know how I look in order to get us all on the same page to like move past it. Mm. Like that's, that's my sort of philosophy of it. I don't mean like I have to make fun of myself, but I do think that like in a room, like you're describing, just name it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I don't know what that is like for you, or if you feel like there is something to name, Mm. like, I don't know how, I don't know when you're walking into a space, if you feel like there's transness always with you that you're wondering if an audience is going to be thinking about unless you name it or if like what's that experience like for you yeah i'm i'm happy to talk about that i think like i have a few thoughts about that i would say that for me the way that i self perceive like m- myself is i don't feel passable like i don't think i like i don't really assume that i like, I feel like the moment I w- open my mouth, it's kind of like something's going on. Like, something's going on here. Like, maybe if I'm just silent, there's like a, yeah, she's just a six foot tall, you know, Amazon Goliath woman. And and then th- th- she lives, she's from Alaska. Like, it makes that like, they're just like, fine. She's like a, she's a indigenous, um, you know, warrior woman. Or so, I don't know. I don't know what that is for for them. But then. I do, you know, I haven't like changed my voice at all. I haven't, it's, this is just like, this has always been my voice. And I, uh, by the way, I, I tried to, when I first started transitioning, I started going to a speech pathologist named Dr. Fake, which is so Perfection. funny to me. That's so <laughs> funny. Like you couldn't make that up. Her name, her name was Dr. Linda Fake. And she wanted me to talk like a madman secretary. And I wouldn't do it because i was so it made me so mad that she that this is the way that women are supposed to talk and it made me so angry so yeah it's very personal to me of like not wanting to change my voice and uh so i'll say that well and also i just want to say one tiny thing here because i feel like there's probably some like cis listeners that might not be aware of this but if it's okay with you i feel like there's something worth Mm. mentioning here around like um I think that there's a perception for trans folks, for folks that are like, maybe don't know folks that are trans, that like, 
Number one, everybody pursues medical transition, which not everybody does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then also that medical transition, like sort of does the same thing for people who are uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. like AFAB or AMAB. So like for, for folks who are assigned female at birth and they start taking testosterone, there is a voice change that mm-hmm. comes with that. Like our voice boxes are affected by testosterone. And so like a, a voice change is part of it. But for folks who are assigned male at birth, um, if you're taking estrogen, which also not everybody is taking, also there is no voice change that comes with that. Mm-hmm. So for if there, if, and it does, what you're talking about is, is really important, I think, to talk about because there's then like a decision that trans women make about whether to adopt a voice change or not. Like it's a personal choice as opposed to something that would come from mm-hmm. a, like a, a change in, in the person's body chemically, which also not everybody chemically transitions, but. And which is called, which by the way, is called male privilege because it's like, okay, why do the trans men, their voice changes, but the trans <laughs> women, our voice stays the same. Interesting. Right. Um, that's no, that's I, number one. Absolutely. <laughs> number two, also like my voice is, is very deep, um, which is something I, as like a gender fluid, gender non-conforming, non-binary person, like, you know, like that to me is like something I've always loved. Even before I like knew why I loved it, I was like, oh my God, thank God. This is like the register that I'm in. Like I've always yeah. loved it. But for, y- for you and I, like out in the world, having a voice in, because I think we're kind of actually in a similar register, but it means <laughs> yeah. something really different for the, for the two of us because based on like yeah. how people are perceiving it. And it took it took me going to a speech pathologist to really to really realize and understand that I really liked my voice and that I didn't want to change it. And if if someone wants to do that, there's nothing wrong with that. It's literally it's it's that person's own decision where their dysphoria is, what makes them feel gender euphoria. For me, it was not euphoric to 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 be so to to be policing my own voice it felt so bad and i was so bad at it you know i was just so i'm so lazy and like the idea of like constantly having to think about my register it was just like and some people do have surgery some some trans women there is a voice box surgery that they get that does change the whatever the word is for for their voice the register Mm -hmm. so you know, it it's all very interesting. But I just so that was just one thing I wanted to say about I walk into a room just assuming that everyone knows that I'm queer in some way, which sometimes is not the best best assumption for me to make because I've had I've had past roommates. Like I had a roommate once. I lived in like a queer co-op in Berkeley, and she was like legit. She was like Nori. I thought you were just like a stone cold lesbian for like cis lesbian for like three months. I literally. Did not know you were a trans woman until you told me. Because I was just like, oh, I just thought you were just so butch. And so it's like, it's just all very funny and the ways that we perceive ourselves and each other. Saying that, I have these assumptions going into clubs that they're not going to like me or that they're going to like. And when I tell you, some of the most incredible sets I've ever done have been in comedy clubs where I'm going in assuming that these people hate me um, because I have a lot of trauma. I grew up in Kentucky and I have a lot of PTSD around being queer in an environment where everyone is straight. Like there was no openly gay people in my town, none, not one. So I have that experience. You know, I grew up in the church. I have those, I've had to go through a lot of therapy to really heal from a lot of that stuff. So when I go into a comedy club, which really historically is, is for like white cis straight men, it, I do come in with those like already feeling scared. And I've, there've been so many times where I've been (laughs) so wonderfully surprised by like how receptive the audience is and how much they just want to laugh and how much they want to connect. And I did one, I remember one show I did when I was in the Bay Area. I, it was like a small town. 
outside of Santa Cruz and like around that area, it's very Republican. It like reminds me a lot of like the South. It's like kind of like mountain folks. Like even though it's in mm-hmm. California, they're like, don't take my gun. Oh, you just and, get outside the cities. Yeah. It's stuff is wild. Yes. They're very much. It was, it was literally a log cabin was the venue. So it's like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, great. And I was so scared. And the moment I just used that in my set and like kind of talked about how scared I was, they're going to kill me. And like that. And there was this one guy who looked like a lumberjack and I, and I just started to talk to him and I was like, have you dated a trans woman? And he was like, no. And I was like, why? And, you know, so it became this like really incredible, fun, connective set. So I, I really appreciate that. When, when I first started doing comedy, I was so, I had so much anxiety around disclosure. Like I was like, okay, when am I going to disclose? How am I going to do it? How do I do it in a way that's light and funny? You know, I was so scared. I had so much anxiety around when to talk about being trans in my set. Like, just like, in terms of just like the joke and like when, just the dynamics of it. And now that I'm, you know, five or six years into it or however long I've been doing it is... It's it's just way less important to me. I don't even... There are some sets where I literally don't even bring it up. It's like, in, it's inside of a joke. Like, maybe part of a joke is me saying that something's transphobic or, you know, whatever, whatever. But I never even, like, name it. I just kind of... So, it, yeah, I definitely feel less anxiety now around that moment. Um... I feel like I'm a very funny looking person and that's like to my advantage. Like I feel like the moment I walk on stage, people know that some, something's going on and that I think only makes me funnier, you know, like, wow. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> I don't think I ever feel that way. Like that, that, that it's to my advantage, but I will say that like, mm. I don't know that I have like a good gauge. On, I mean, I, well, as you were talking about, the fear that you have before going on stage. There is some, like some part of, I just, it's like so funny to me that some people are doing stand up and that's not what they're experiencing. Like they're, mm. they're experiencing like, will they like me or something, but they're not experiencing like, will they hate me hate because me. of who I inherently exactly. am. And that thing is so part of my experience of doing stand up that I very, I just forget all the time that there are like people who are just, yes, walk out on stage and, <laughs> They don't even wonder about that. <laughs> it must be nice. That is yeah. wild to think <laughs> yeah. about that experience. But I do think that some of that charge is why I chose it. Like for a maniac who's like wants things to be fucking hard in order for them to feel valuable. I don't even know that I would like trade. I mean, I, I'd like I'd like actual civil rights, but I just mean I don't know that I would <laughs> trade the anxiety because i do think that it's well that's not true i mean i don't know maybe i would but but it does it does make for me the emotional payoff of that because you know stand up is drugs and the like emotional payoff of that is a really wild hit when to change somebody's mind about me like it's like i'm not just like making you laugh but i'm like making you laugh and you're not even sure if I should exist. Like that to me is like so much power. <laughs> yeah. That it's very intoxicating. Yeah. I, I don't will, know if I would would want to have it without that. What, what were you to say? No, no. I, I I was just reflecting on just like from what you said, like, you know, obviously like the the rush of of doing stand-up and I feel like my relationship to stand-up is changing and it's mm. um I don't know if I enjoy it as much anymore. I do feel I do feel like um as the world starts to feel more transphobic, it's starting to feel not as good as it used to. I think, like, there has just been so much trans hate this year. Um, it's, like, it's really intense. And it's it's getting harder and harder for me to be in front of a cis audience and want to do the labor of making them laugh. Wow, Nori, I really know what you, know? you mean. I do, actually, yeah. Yeah, 
I'm sort of on the other side of that feeling right now. But I will say for me, a time that I really felt that way, especially hard, was when like Trump was running for president and he was clearly menacing Hillary Clinton on camera. Oh, God. Yeah, that was In a way that felt like like we were watching his yeah. sexual sexual predatory behavior. It's like, it's not just that like he was saying, laughing about it and bragging about it. It's like, I felt like I was actually watching it mm-hmm. and a participant in it. And it's, this isn't even like, doesn't even matter how you feel about Hillary Clinton. It, it just felt like I was watching this thing and I was going, oh my God, like we're seeing a thing. And then as a, you know, and then I felt like, when I would go to shows, people were um, like talking about his predatory behavior, but it was so like, this is why I made, um, this is why I made my stand-up special that's called Rape Jokes is because like, I felt like I was going to shows mm. and listening to guys talk about rape and then going home and like watching the nation see somebody display the predatory behavior that I that people have accused them of having, but then we're also seeing it. It's like, no, I see it with my eyes. Like, it's not even confusing mm. to me, which does feel like very similar to the gaslighting that's happening right now about transphobia, right? It's like, no, I, I see it with my eyes. Like, it's not just that these, like, laws are happening that are definitely transphobic and i know that's like you might be arguing that that's not what's happening but i know that's what's happening and then there's comics on stage who are saying a transphobic thing and i also see that that's what's happening it's like there were too many layers of like Mm. you're you're just saying it openly but it's also happening it's just and i i um like i made that special but i also just fell out of love with stand-up for a long time like i just felt like this is the best i can do is like make this like, I can't tell everybody else to stop it. Yeah. Because that's an exhausting waste of my time. Um, I can, like, put my art out there and say, like, this is what I think. Um, but, I yeah, it kind of broke my heart. Yeah. The, the set I've been doing, uh, which I uh, which I did for the Showtime Alan Cummings special, is a 10-minute set where I say, like, I don't have any jokes. And it's... Uh, that's a that's a that set came about that that was this past year I, I i wrote that set um where i just was feeling so like i had nothing to say and like i there was nothing i wanted to say and and i didn't even know why i was on stage and being able to make that into a set where it's this you know clowny kind of trolly kind of thing of like i don't have it it i don't have any jokes it's been that that's that was the way for me to express where i was um and it's been so interesting to see like how the audience plays with with me on stage because it's there's something really electric about and and it's in the showtime set that's coming out where you know when you first get on stage right there's this immediate tension like where the audience is waiting for you to prove to them that you're funny and for me it was a way to subvert that to where i'm like are you an audience that i want to make laugh like are like it's not about me proving to you anything or you're going to prove to me that you're playful and you're fun and you want to have a good time so when I stand there awkwardly and there's all this tension and I just sit in it and then I say, oh, I, I don't have any jokes. It, it's like, it, it's immediate subversion of what's expected. Um, I've been really into clown stuff. I don't know. Like, I feel like as the world gets more chaotic and crazy, I just love clowning. I just feel like it's such a fun. I've just really been into like the clown stuff in L.A., it's and it's not. I don't know for, for for listeners. You're talking about actual clowning, which, by the way, I know that because I live in LA. exactly. <laughs> I just I'm, be... uh, not like painted faces or anything like that. Yeah, more like buffon stuff. Yeah, like from, surreal, so absurd, yeah. kind of like in the moment presence. It's just like kind of improv e. Um, 
But I got a little bored with just classic stand-up where I was just like, this just doesn't feel like it's answering the moment. Like we're in mm-hmm. such a intense, terrible time. And comics on stage are like, you know, who's fucking? And it's like, I I don't know. Like it just was I was like, it wasn't working for me. Like, like I think that's still needed. And I think people are really they need that and they want that really well thanks i mean otherwise i was going to be like jesus christ nori that's all my that's my whole act your whole yes who's for, fucking for two hours you, you just go who's fucking and it's crazy and it's, it's subversive and it's beautiful and it's art it's art um but but for me personally i was just like this doesn't feel good anymore like the same things that felt good before the pandemic don't feel good after we're just in a whole different world yeah. Well, there's always been like anti-comedy, but it does feel mm. like right now um, the absurdity for like what, what especially like what like younger people find funny is it's like it's it's like completely deconstructing. And this is not this is not the first time this has happened, but just like completely de- deconstructing that like stand up even exists or that like comedy even exists or. Like what? What? What's popular on TikTok? TikTok is just like. I feel like it's stuff I've, I I love that it's the. It feels like a return to things I I know. You know, like mm. ten years ago or whatever, people were actually doing the same thing. We just forgot that that was true. Like in a sort of a, well, actually maybe twenty years ago, in like a post nine eleven world. Like that's that was a, I think a similar zone of just like nothing means anything, and yeah. Um, I just learned I just learned what anti-comedy was. I never knew that there's a word for what I've been feeling. And it, it felt so good to hear to learn that there's a whole um like Tim Heidecker and um Yeah, baby. There there's a whole like uh-huh. I felt really like seen. I was like, oh, this is what I'm feeling right now. I'm feeling anti-comedy. And um yeah. it, it definitely feels very related to me as a trans person because like so much of what we just were talking about with disclosure and like when do I say that I'm trans? And it it takes away that pressure because it brings in an, an absurdity that kind of transcends, like you know, haha, um, like transness. That's it's like it's not about me being trans; it's about me being a clown. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's just that. It's it's what's been working for me this past year. Yeah, totally. I mean, I would you know, I would hold. I would mention somebody like Maria Bamford who now you know, has so much legitimacy because she has had her own TV show and she's had, you know, specials that did really well in a commercial way. But, like, she was really fucking out there for a really long time. And Mm. it's just that over time, comedy actually changed because of her. So then eventually she was more in the the fold and we could be like, this is also a normal type of stand-up but it's that was only true because she existed long enough Mm. that she made the space so that stand-up expanded like it's not she didn't join the flow of what anybody else was fucking doing um Mm. isn't that great news for stand-up because (laughs) that just means that like you'll continue to expand what it means yeah i mean people say that a lot about kate berlant and john early where it's like they're kind of like mommy and daddy to like so like to a a huge group of comedians really come from that lineage um, of like what they did for stand up, which is, you know, which again is, an, I feels very clown. There's a lot of clown in, in that. I think there's a lot of physical yeah. stuff to it. Um, which by the way, I learned, that's a le- lesson I learned recently where I was bombing at a show where the, the 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 audience was very much expecting very much like straight stand up and I wasn't doing very well and I kind of like locked eyes with this woman in the audience and I was like I was like am I bombing and literally her response to me was she just looked at me and goes honey you just got to shake your tits and move it along and and then <laughs> I, I was like what and then I did it and everyone cheered I, I like shook my tits and then said move it along and the whole audience like erupted in applause and I was like, this is what you want? Like, like not the smart, like these smart, carefully crafted jokes that have taken a year of making. It's like, no, I just need to shake my tits and say, 
move it along. I think there's space for all of Ugh, it, you know? Yeah. But I will say that I'm glad that you're realizing that some of us, Nori, dated clowns in our 20s. <laughs> so, like, this isn't, like, the newest information. You know what I mean? Like, I, like I, it sounds like our dirtbag years were kind of different. You were working with Michael Kors, but I was out there fucking clowns. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had the tip on this for a minute. <laughs> okay, but are we talking, like, painting faces clowns? Are we talking... No, no, no. No, okay. No, because I was, like... Because I was like, um, I was briefly a circus ringmaster for like acrobats, right? And acrobats who... Oh my God. Yeah. And this like traveling group of acrobats who perform a Cirque du Soleil. But there's also a lot of... They're in Europe and in China. Mm -hmm. And then a little bit in South America, there are people who are still doing like traditional like family circus stuff. And so these acrobats, they get contracted out to perform in those different places but then they have somewhere that they have to live and train. And so for a while, there was this group. I mean, they still exist. They still live in Chicago. I just don't live there anymore. But there was like this group of acrobats that I fell in with. And then I would tell jokes while they would get their like oh trapezes God. ready behind me. And then one of them was like a straight up clown. But she would that just meant she was like silently like doing goofs with her body while she like juggled <laughs> hats and like hung from a trapeze. And then we started dating. But. She was also in an open marriage, of course, with somebody who was in like a <laughs> tribute band for like a little-known country rock star, and then she broke up with her wife, and then she started dating my best friend. But I had broken up with her because I didn't. Wow, really? Because the wife yelled at me. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But then I didn't know she was dating my best friend. <laughs> but then my best friend also had feelings for me, which I found oh. out when we were all in Provincetown together. Anyway, my point is, have you ever been in your 20s? You know what I'm saying? Have you ever just been straight up in your 20s? Because that's what my 20s were like. What were your 20s? My point is, when can I watch this? And why is this not yeah. on television? This is this should be... Because this, this is be really sexy and hot and, and crazy. And I, I want to... <laughs> under the circus tent? That could be a, a name. I don't, I don't know. That's really good. Yeah. Do you want to make a movie? Yes. Yeah. Let's okay, see. I would. With you, I would make a movie. And I, <laughs> okay. Well, fine. Let's yeah. make a movie. That sounds great. What was the material like when you did those shows? That's such a good question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had like jokes I would do, but I also had like, and they were like, they were like, sur they were like surrealistic, but very, very like, they really worked well. And it would be an all ages show. And I would also do my classic. Oh, that's hard. My classic bit that I would do every show was I would like do a lion a lion tamer bit, you know, where like a lion puts their like hand or like their head into <laughs> or where a where a ringmaster puts their hand or head mm -hmm. into like a, a lion's mouth. Mm -hmm. I would do that but with a child from the audience. <laughs> like bring a child up and have them like stick my hand in there. My wow. point is I believe in child actors. You, and it's you, really important <laughs> that, <laughs> that child is traumatized. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> So you're yeah you're clowning you were you were clowning up and down and I I've, I've clowned up and down okay. I've I've worn glitter lipstick you know what I mean like there's wow. been there've been phases all like, ages is, like you said all ages is really hard I once did pride at I did the main stage at a pride like San Jose or something and mm -hmm. they're like kids like a lot of kids and they heckled me within an inch of my life like I was like. <laughs> I was like, I was like, excuse me, like I am a trans woman of color. This is like pride, and this little <laughs> fucking girl was just like, she was like, she to her to her dad, like she was like, what? She's like, I don't. She's like, what does that mean? Like, I don't get it. That's not funny. At one point, she went, that's not funny, and I was like, oh, oh my god. Yeah, it'll be absolutely. It's your own community that will really attack uh -huh. you. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um. Oh my god! No, I mean, like, yeah, absolutely. The I will say, performing for children. I mean, the thing is, is like, there are some sure, there are some criticisms that I will receive as a comic and take to heart. But one of them is, I will never, and I've never even nobody's ever said this to me, is like that I cannot hold my ground on stage. And part of why I can mm. hold my ground on stage always is that I used to perform for children, <laughs> and like, you cannot give a fucking no. Bitch. No, you will be you will be dead in the water. You have to really hold your ground. They're the critics. They're the biggest critics of all, and they'll yeah. tell you. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. They don't even mean it. They're just 
That's just a honest evaluation. Um, <sighs> Nori, this has been a great convo. And I'm looking at our time. Mm. And I feel like, unfortunately, because I'd like to talk to you about a lot more stuff, maybe we'll just do it as people. We don't have to do it on the podcast. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we'll just have a conversation. Yeah. Because I, I really, I really like what you have to say. But I want to ask you to wrap up the podcast Absolutely. version Absolutely. of our relationship. If um, if you would like to shout out a queero. A queero is like a person, place, or thing that made you feel like you could be who you are today. Would you like to shout out a queero? Oh, wow. Yeah, I do. You know, and actually, this is very perfect because I believe you are performing with this person very, very soon. But Margaret Cho, what a queer When I was a little fucking queer kid in Kentucky, I turned on Comedy Central, watched her special, and could not believe that there was this, like, hilarious Korean woman who sounded just like my mother when she was doing her mother bit. And I felt so seen by that. And she's incredible. She's like, she's such a talk about icon. Margaret Cho. I know you're you're doing I saw you're doing large. She's on my show tonight. Yeah. Tonight. Yeah. And actually, I'll I'll tell you because this will come out afterwards. This is so I've only ever maybe I've I've said this on the podcast. I like definitely have, but I've only ever paid to see two stand-up comics in my life because then I just like was in the business and I didn't have to anymore. But I'm so glad about who they are. It's Margaret Cho. She's the first person I ever saw do stand-up live, and I paid to see her. And the other one is Sarah Silverman. And it, Sarah and Margaret were both going to open for me tonight, but Amazing. Sarah had to reschedule. And so it's Caleb Heron, which is like Love. also, a, you know, there's literally no problem with that. <laughs> but there will be a time when I'm sure Sarah's on the show. And I know, and I, I the reason I'm saying this is because I can't believe I get to know them. You know, like, it's not like they're my best friends, but I do know both of them. And that is wild as somebody who, like, those were, they were, I saw them, they were at big, giant theaters, and I was so excited to go, and I went with, like, a partner, and it was a huge date, you know, like, and I just, (laughs) to have, yeah, it's, it's wild. That's incredible. That I get to know those people. You know what I mean? Oh, I know what you mean. I feel that way about um, Naomi Paragon. She's, oh, yeah. She's someone I have looked up to for so long, and I consider her a friend now, and it's it's the most, like, sometimes I still pinch myself when she gives me advice, because I'm just like, this. when someone you respect so much reflects that back to you, it's the most, it, it you know... What's the meme thing where it's like, like, yeah, sex is great, but have you ever had another comedian who you respect respect you? <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Oh, awesome, Nori. <laughs> well, I'll see you soon yeah, at the next show that we do together. Of course. And I can't wait. I'll see you around. 